Welcome to the Beer and Gear Podcast with Chris Taylor. Friday night, so there is actually some beer involved, and it's not my fault, it's Chris's fault, but I want to welcome you all to Mr. Chris Green. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing really, really well, mate. I'm cracking into my first Stella. I have uh, another five ready for reloads here, and I guess we'll just see how it goes. Happy days, mate. I mean, you, you bring... Cheers, by the way. Cheers, because ah. it's been a long time. Cheers to you, too. I think last time was, was NAM 2015, wasn't it, that we were actually together, I think. Yeah, the last time was, uh, as usual, the Laney Ibanez stand would have a keg of beer, the only keg of beer in the entire arena. Didn't we, go out, we, we went out drinking and playing and bowling with Killswitch Engage that year as well. Oh, we? shit, yeah, we did. Was that the last time? Yeah, that's that's when I literally got knocked off the curb on the way back to the hotel and smashed my knee up in front of that car. Oh. Yeah, because literally we we're all going back at stupid o'clock in the morning, and someone took a tumble, bumped into me on the shoulder, and I went straight off the curb because the curbs over there are obviously. Oh, anyone noticing? Chris is actually in Atlanta, Georgia now, aren't you? I am. I'm in Atlanta, so it Atlanta, is five o'clock, yeah. which is why we're starting. Yeah, yeah, and I, I flew off the curb, and literally my knee buckled, and for the next day, the well, next night, I think I literally just lay in bed with like an ice pack on and I had to do the show the next day and Farmer kept giving me like painkillers to keep me standing but I still get it when it when the weather gets cold here my knee feels terrible and it's all from that that fall but literally I was we were being the nice people and taking people home and stuff but literally one guy in our crew literally took a wobble hit me and I flew into the traffic <laughs> so. the thing is mate to pass an American driving test I think all you have to do is have the ability to breathe Right. I took my I took my test in Chicago when I lived there, and I tried to, I tried to get away with not driving for as long as possible. And in the end, the wife turns around and goes, "You're going to get your bloody license. I'm fed up with driving you around everywhere." So I'm like, "All right, are you allowed to swear on this show?" Yeah, you did. So I was like, "Fuck it, I'm going to go and do it." <laughs> yeah. So I go. To, I said, "Well, I better have a little practice." So we pull over in like a supermarket car park on the way. Drove it in like a couple of circles, didn't even stick it in reverse. Bang, went over to the driving place and passed my test. You know, we, we get in there and it's like, okay, drive down the road, take a right, take a right. Basically went in a circle around this neighborhood, came back and he went, oh, I'm pleased to tell you you passed your driving test. <laughs> like, and that's why there's drivers like that knocking you in the street because no one knows how to bloody drive there. Now, I remember that that night because... Uh who's now my fiance, Lucy, we, we'd not, not been together that long at that point. And like, by the time I was going to bed, she was kind of getting up and we'd have this little chat in the morning. She's like, how are you? I was like, sorry, I got my leg in, my legs up in the air in, um, with ice on it. What would happen? I nearly got run over. <laughs> of course, she started freaking out and I just fell asleep like it was nothing. <laughs> so, so for that oh, sort of se seven hours I was asleep, she was freaking out. I was like, nah. It's not so bad. Did, <laughs> yeah. you go, did you go to the hospital or anything? You didn't. You had to go to the show. I had to back to the show next morning, yeah. So I just painkillered paint up and carried on with it, yeah. Oh. I, think it was, I think it was about six months later, I was stood at a bar with Lucy and literally I was stood waiting for a drink. I mean, he went the wrong way. You know, when you're standing there and suddenly it just oh, yeah, went, it went, it went, oh, that ain't good. You know, 
But that's all right. It's all in the name of it, isn't it? Because that was a cracking night, wasn't it? We ended up, I'll say, at a really, really bad bowling alley with kill yeah. switching gays. And I'm sure we went somewhere first, didn't we? And it was that bad. It was organised by the American district, wasn't it? And we went somewhere for dinner and didn't turn up or something. So we ended up just leaving and ordering pizza and just drinking. I'll, I'll be honest with you, mate. As most of the nights that me and you have shared, I remember laughter, booze, company and the rest is just like pieces that i think my brain's trying to fill in <laughs> that's, that's pretty much story of my life really but especially when we're together that's uh that's I pretty much I, 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 I think so we, t- we tend to keep it pretty loose don't we and just go with the flow it's, mate it's like i i i shit you not that stand the laney ibanez and, and all the crew and I, I've been there, I don't know how many years I've been in that place now, and I've met, you know, so many of the people because I, you know, was working with the Guitar Guru Network guys, and, and so, you know, we'd go and see vendors all the time. By far, the nicest, kindest, and funniest bunch of people in the entire event. Oh, man, that's great. The entire event. I used to love it because I was, I my, my particular, like, spot there, really, apart from being, like, going there early and building the stand with people and and being like you know the artist rep and doing the sign-ins was literally i was i was front of house because I, I was the first person to say hello to people and introduce yeah. them or show them the gear you know it was um i guess it's because i'm approachable i hope so anyway I'm, you know but it was uh it was always a fun stand man it was always a good stand and we always managed it's, to get get loads of people that weren't nothing to do with us on our stand you know you yeah. turn around and they'd be like amazing players that have nothing to do with the brand just they're hanging out you know yeah yeah well we i mean me me and simon simon farmery for those people listening that don't know he was a bass player that i work with yeah. um yeah we you know we're talking about don't you I, 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 he's, uh, he's coming on soon oh all right then we'll see him <laughs> yeah. in a couple of years <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but you know he was endorsed with laney but I wasn't endorsed to Vibonez or Laney, and I was like, "Yeah, let's go and let's go and do some uh, some playing over at the stand." You remember we came down and we played. You, did, a couple uh, of... you, you played loads of Rubicon Cross stuff on the on the. That's stand, right, and it was great. Right. Just, yeah. just plugged into the you were at the time you were, you were plugged into the Iron Art Studio, which is the fifteen watt rack thing into a one by twelve. He was playing the bass version, the rack, you know, the smaller wattage rack one, and literally it was just a small gig with the backing tracks through the amps wasn't it and just like let's yeah. just play let's just play it, it was, was great. it was it was and it was probably quieter than i play in my bedroom yeah it, but because you've got the noise police you've got the noise police at now which makes it really hard to crank anything up because they'll come and shut you down um and i all i remember is me and him just headbanging and playing and like this crowd forms probably nothing to do with what we were playing or the sound of the amps they're just like who are these two buffoons Headbanging. <laughs> they probably thought it was like, oh, they're just having a little jam. That's nice. No, it was great, man. It was great. I do I do want to go back. It's funny enough, I keep getting invited back to Nam by Line 6 because I've, I've done quite a bit with Line 6 since leaving the industry per se. Um, but they're always, you know, quite vocal with, you know, you need to just come over and just enjoy it. And I'd love to just go over as a fan. As a know. panzer. Yeah. And go and... You know, see everything because literally my time there was literally I was on the stand all the time. I might get twenty minutes here and there to quickly run around, right? A quick look at stuff, you know, and then the show's over and you've got to pack it down. So it wasn't. I never, I never actually had the chance of walking the floors. Whenever I did, it was before the show started. I'd go early, 
and I'd go and go and see the Fender booth, the Marshall booth. I'd go and have a look at stuff before anybody came into the place. But to do that, that yeah. is kind of a nice way to do it, though. To oh, be it honest, is good. It, it is good. Yeah, it, it is. It does kind of work. Yeah. I realized I realized pretty quickly that I was um, that I had a, actually a, a problem with being in those kind of crowds of people mm. because you you spend years. You know, what it's like you spend years on the stage where you're totally in control of your surroundings and then maybe you go and do a meet and greet or something like that. But for the most part, it's only your bandmates that are around you or you're behind a table signing stuff. And then all of a sudden you go to Nam, and it's, I don't know how many thousands of people are at that thing. It's relentless. But, but it's, it's hard to convey to a listener what that event is like if you've never been there because it's almost like it's in like three aircraft hangars that have been like sort of stuck together. And they're, you know, they're like five stories high or something. And it's just 500 drum kits playing at the same time. A thousand guitar amps playing at the same time. It's just absolute ambient noise nightmare. It is. And it's like total over sensory overload. Even the noise of just people generally walking around and talking is louder than the demos. And that stuff just builds and builds and builds and builds. And that's why so many people come home and they still have got Namthrax. Because literally your yes. throat your throat is stripped because you're trying yep. you're talking louder than you believe you are when you're trying to get when you're trying to talk to somebody. Yep. Everyone, everyone comes back with a sore throat. Everyone comes back with like the biggest cold ever because of meets and shaking hands with everybody. Yep. Got it, it's that's well, that's the common term was Namthrax. You know, you come yeah, back right, with Namthrax. the Namthrax. I forgot yeah. about that, the Namthrax. I've had, <laughs> I think there's only one year that I escaped the Namthrax, and that I, I, I nailed my technique for wandering around. I've got some really nice over ear headphones to make it bloody obvious that I'm listening to something and not yeah. accessible for a chat. Yeah, and I'd put on some dark sunglasses, and that was it. I'd wander around. And I, everyone probably thought I was listening to like metal or something, but actually I have this 80s pop playlist that's got shit like Tears for Fears, <laughs> all the, you know, Aztec Camera and all of these like weird 80s pop music. It's all like happy and chirpy. So like, I'm just yeah. wondering where everybody wants to, you know, I'm just like, this is fucking great. I don't have to talk to anyone. There's no noise around me. It's also the perfect antidote from hearing a hundred thousand people play the same fucking riffs. Yeah, slightly different times. Yeah, you've got it. In fact, that's what it is. It's like, it's like when they do those world record challenges where it's like 500 drum kits and we're all gonna play a Foo Fighters song. It's like that, but everyone started half a beat later than everyone else. And a lot of the guitars are microtonally out of tune with the one that's playing over yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, It's exactly. Everyone's every, everyone's practiced their granny licks, you know, the, the, the licks that you want to show off to Graham when she asks you how your guitar playing's come on. I'm yeah. giving up. I'll just go in there and they're like, here, try this out. I'm like, uh, I'll say exactly what I'm like. They'll be like this. They'll be like, try this out. I'm like, all right. <sighs> yeah, that's really good. I like that. That's exactly what I do. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I do. <laughs> I had the, Because I had who's going to be impressed? There's no point me sitting there and shredding because there's a bloody eight-year-old Japanese kid like next door 
doing everything I've wanted to do since I was a kid. <laughs> Correct. Twice as fast. Apologies. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not jealous. <laughs> no, it's it, it's a nightmare. Like, no, no, I think let's say because nowadays it's learning how to do something like especially guitar is so more accessible than when I was a kid and when you're a kid. It's like you have to either get lessons, learn to records, buy books. Now they just go yeah. on YouTube and there's some dude breaking down how to what, like what, breaking the code guy, how to pick slant and how to how to effort, effortly, effortlessly rip apart things like sweet pick and economy picking. That kind of stuff. I know like, you wanker because you know I'm one of those <laughs> bastards that does it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Though you like go. <laughs> but that's the thing, isn't it? Because like I I, re I remember. Do you remember Eugene's trick bag, the piece mm -hmm. of music that's at the end of Cross that Crossroads movie? Mm -hmm. I still think that that's one of those holy grail pieces of guitar playing that even now, if I ask some mates, you know, play, play that, no one really nails it. There's something about that piece of music that's just really bloody hard to play. Yeah. And I remember like my dad had this thing. Do you remember there was actually a thing called an Ibanez rock and play? Yeah. And it, was, it looked like a little Walkman. It was yeah. silver, but it had this one amazing function. It had a half speed function. Exactly. So you could. So I I had to sit there, my dad's microphone, record it with in front of the TV speaker, press play on the video, video, yeah, VHS, VHS for all you that don't know what it is. It was before them DVDs, like a giant cassette. So if you hang on, if you had Betamax, you had to saw the side of it to fit it. Yeah, yeah, you would Betamax. Oh, there you go. The MySpace of recording technology. So like there it is, like with the microphone in front of the TV records. So I record the you know the the fast guitar part, hit slow, and of course, it it's not like technology now. Like I have this program called Transcribe, where it's like I can slow down the the speed without changing the pitch. Yeah, I'm like, all right, here we go. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? painstakingly went through that thing. I reckon it took me four days to get through it. The next week, a new magazine comes out, Guitar Techniques. Guess what's the first transcription in that fucking magazine? Eugene's trick bag. Every note. <laughs> Guthrie Govan has transcribed every note of Eugene's trick bag. And I'm like, there's me with the rock and play. I'm like... <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of Mr. Vi, then, isn't that video he's put out tonight, The Legend? I saw it as advertised. I didn't. I didn't get a chance to have a look though. Basically, what he's done because he did an interview last week with a brilliant YouTube channel. Music is win. I mean, Tyler Larson's channel is really, really, really good. Um, yeah. What's well, worth? He's got like a couple of million followers, so that you know he does it. He does it. He does what he does. He does really great. Um, but he interviewed Vi, and it came across that Vi's got two injuries at the moment. One of them is is he's got trigger finger, and that was through holding the cord down for too long during lockdown, trying to get a different technique going. There's an operation there. He's also had shoulder surgery. So he said, I can't play at the moment because he didn't play on that video. But tonight he's put a track out in a video. Mate, it's, he's literally got his arm in a sling, right? <laughs> he's got the guitar like that. So the arm's in the sling and it's holding <laughs> the horn like that, right? Right. And he plays the whole track with one hand. It's all legato, the whole lot. 
and he's just doing this, and it's. I'm thinking that's just taking the piss now. <laughs> so, you know. I do think that that guy is a musical genius. He's like, whenever you talk about guitar players, when we talk about famous guitar players, there are, there are always obvious names that people bring up that actually usually bring like an eye roll to most people. Like you say, Steve Vine, they're like, oh yeah, I kind of knew you were going to say that. You know, John Petrucci, you know, Paul Gilbert. Yeah, and I'm a fan of all those players. You know, I don't care if they're obvious popular players. Steve Vai is literally the only guitar player that when I went to go and see him when I lived in England, I literally cried watching him play this song. And I was kind of like, it was like the end of a movie when you kids around, you're like, I'm not gonna cry. It's like, the end, of, it's like the end of Con Air when, when he meets with his <laughs> daughter. <laughs> and, he gives, and he gives her the bunny and it's all dirty. <laughs> Half burnt bunny. It's yeah. like, he, Good name so for I'm a not, band. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to cry. Like, and, but I did. And I looked around and there was maybe a dozen people around me that were also crying, right? I'm like, all right, at least it wasn't me. He stops the song. It might have been Tender Surrender. It might, that might have been what he was what, playing. What a song. What a song. I know, what amazing song. Yeah. But, he, but he went off on one, on his own. Do you know what I mean? As he does. Yeah. And, and the band stopped. And it was eerily quiet. And he walks up to the microphone and he goes, wow, did you feel that? And I was like, yeah, I fucking did. Like, yeah. it's bizarre. And this is, this is what I love about guitar playing is that although most of us end up in bands with singers, we, you know, your, your normal rock band format, yeah. there's something about music without lyrics that can move you in a way that I think music with lyrics can't do. I agree. And, and I think that all stems back to classical music, you know, when it was all in instrumentation, you know, unless it was opera or something like that, you know, but that's how I like approaching music. That's how I like, that's how I like approaching solos. Um, I did, I don't even know if you know this, man, but I did like an instrumental EP a few years back now, just like five tracks on it. Unveil. Unveil, yeah. And yeah, nice little plug there. Do you, do you like my way in there? There's yeah, a nice little, nice I like little I, like, I like the way you unveiled it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's a track on there called Undefeated, which I wrote like, after, my, after my old man died. You know, I just, there are emotions that you sometimes just can't put down in pen and paper, you know, in, into yeah. words. Yeah. So I wrote this piece of music, and to this day, it's, it's probably my favourite piece that I've written because I, like, there were so many like classical kind of chord movements that it, it, it i had people emailing me saying wow i don't know what that song's about but like i feel really moved when i listen to it which as you know is like the highest compliment really you can it's, receive from anybody yeah it's huge a, apart from maybe saying that you have a sound about your playing that people recognize that's yeah. that's probably the number yeah. one thing um and that's what that having that and having people react to it and say, I was really moved by that piece of music. I mean, it's just amazing. Just makes you think it's like, there's no words. You, you, you're just doing this with notes. And that's, and that's, you know, and then you can go and hug a tree and do what you want. I'm but, one with the universe. But I, but I think that's brilliant because there's a lot of these players, like you say, um, because of basically the, 
a lot of the players now, the younger players, and I know quite a few of them are starting, they're really into things like Avenged Sevenfold. For them, that's like, Sinister Gates is like, he's the shredder, but they're missing out on the Vyas and the Satrianis and those guys that literally can invoke any mo- emotion from you that they want yes. when they're playing. I agree. I mean, let's say Tender Surrender is a great, a, a great example of that, but also my dad, God rest his soul, loved listening to For the Love of God. You know, and I used, yeah. to, I used to hack at that when I was 16, trying to learn to play it, because I was so inspired yeah, we by it. Yeah. But I'd put the Vi DVD on, and as him do it live, my dad just appreciated that piece of music so much. He just got it, and dad wasn't a musical person, but he loved the way it would start soft and build and build and build. And right. Then when it gets to the actual main solo bit, it's the release. You know what I mean? Yeah. You yep. get to that yep. point, yep. he's like, boom. I've just got goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah, it, it does that too, doesn't it? You know, even from the way like he starts out on the neck pickup, and then it builds more tension because it goes to the bridge pickup and the pinch harmonics start coming out. Yeah, because every right. e- every note means something more. You're right. As it, as it builds, everything he hits means something. It's like he builds a dynamic, isn't it? From being quiet and lovely and smooth. No, you're, you're right. The variations on the melody and it digs, each time. And it, digs, and, it digs, and it digs and it digs. And when he goes for it, it just all flies out. Then he goes back to the after that, and it's basically like now back to the melody again. You're right. You know, he's, like, he's, he's he's nailed that formula, hasn't he? Because like starting off on a neck pickup, it's an odd choice. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You know, most people, including myself, will start off unless it's like you're starting off with a sweet picking piece. You generally start off on your bridge pickup. Yeah. But he's done it perfect. Starting the bridge. Sorry, starting the neck pickup, and then when it kicks up a gear. Flick it on, and he's got all that. You get all your pinches and stuff, and then yeah. he takes the same, uh, same lead line later and throws it up an octave, so it's yeah. still all moving. I, I tell you, who else done it? Satriani, always with me, always with you. Yeah, totally. totally. Another perfect example. And my mum, you know, she'd quite, she'd ha- she'd happily like be pissed out of her head, like dancing around the lounge to that one, being, "Oh, I like this song. What's this one?" You know, it's like but my dad, my dad used to like summer song as well, things like that, because like you know, right. it's just it's just summer song is like a rock song that needs a singer that doesn't need one. If you know what I mean, it's a perfect yeah driving rock song from the time, which could have had lyrics singing Satch's melody, but didn't need them in the end because it was fine as it was. You know, and, so, and, and yeah, and you know what? It's one less person to pay. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I go back to my my. my God rest his soul, Eddie Van Halen. Like his always thing was, I don't really care who's singing. I don't listen to the words anyway. The music has to stand up as it is, and the solo is a song within the song. That's the way I look at it. So if the music doesn't stand up, I don't. It, as long as the music's good, I don't care who's singing on it. The music has oh, to. Tell, the music has hey, to tell the story. You know what I mean? So unless he's honest, man, I wish I was that famous. I could get away with saying that stuff. Well, yeah, he, he, he could say anything he wanted, couldn't he? Really? <laughs> so, like, you know. We're in like a bit of a quandary at the moment over here. I mean, we're still technically in, in well, we are still in lockdown. I mean, we've, we've, I don't know if you're catching up, but still catching up on the UK news, but um, April the 12th over here, pubs can open, but they can't open their doors. So you can go to the pub, but you can't go in them. So you can be served outside in April. So if you want to sit outside between five and seven, if the sun's shining, have a couple of beers and something to eat, that's fine. But don't be there at half eight because it's too cold or, you know, that's what they're saying. You know, you could, pubs can open, but outside. May the 17th, my birthday, 
it's going to go back to as it was before the, this latest lockdown. So that's the table service only and wear a mask when you stand up and get the loo or, you know, that kind of thing, which is fine. And apparently if that goes well in June, everything's open. Uh, gigs are allowed again. Everything's it's back to normal. Uh, what's it like in the States? We've had a year of like being at home completely here. What's, what's, what's it like where you are? Being well, listen, a, from an expat, uh, from an expat, let's hear. From, you know. from, from an expat. Well, what a joke. Back <laughs> what, 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 like, what like that in my day? During the war. <laughs> during the war. <laughs> I, I, I do look in on the English news and I still talk to a lot of my mates in England, especially my family. And it's, it's really hard to hear what's going on over there because quite frankly over here you wouldn't really know anything's going on and it's probably because for the most part Americans have always had this kind of hey don't tell me what to do do you know what I mean like just just I'll, I'll do what I want I've got these amendments I'm keeping you can't my guns tell me to wear, you can't tell me to wear a mask I'll shoot you can't tell, and <laughs> you get every day my, my wife was in a hospital today and in, in walks some geezer and you know the nurse is like can you please put a mask on before you come in here and she's like oh oh something's just bullshit you know and like and they're everywhere they're everywhere you know science no, it's all this conspiracy. The earth's fucking flat and the moon's made of cheese. Do you know what I mean? They're just like, just, they're everywhere. Yeah. Like just tinfoil hat wearing fucking idiots. Right. And so you go to somewhere like Florida. I went down to see CJ from Firehouse in December. Flew down there. We went to Disney. I mean, we're in Disney. You can't go to a pub. I'm at Disney. You know, and, and as soon as you go to Florida, Florida's like, listen, I don't know what you guys are all talking about, but I refuse to believe that there is some worldwide pandemic that's killing people. So people are just walking around with no masks. Georgia is almost like that. You know, I've been out a couple of nights in packed bars, you know, where you, you think it's just going to be everywhere is, you know, distanced by six feet. But the place is bloody round, you know, and everyone's like, well... And there's, and there's gigs going on as well, there's gigs. There's, there's yeah, gigs. there's gigs. Now, some of them are getting cancelled. Texas and Mississippi just got rid of the mask mandate. So Texas and Mississippi is basically like, it's gone. Right. Georgia is more of a, all right, you know what, we'll wear the masks, but only as long as you tell me to put it on, you know? You go to Tennessee, I visited some friends up just outside Nashville, and, and as you stop at the, the petrol stations on the way to, you know, it's like everyone's got a mask on in Atlanta. You get through to Chattanooga, and it's like eh, half people. You start getting towards Nashville, nobody. Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> there's pockets all over the states where it's like they just don't care, which is the reason I got, I got my second vaccine jab two days ago. Yeah, and, um, and and I'm like, I'm just, I'm going to roll with the science right now and just hope that if enough people do the same, we'll be able to clamber our, our way out. It's the same over here. I mean, I, I'll be down for, for the way it's moving. Technically, in a month's time, I'll get called for my vaccine for being 40, you know, 40 and over. Um, and I know plenty of people that are like against it, but 
I realise that I'm going to take it because if it comes to the fact that I want to go to a festival and they say, well, you can't get in unless you've got proof of this, I'm having it, I'm going in. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Things like that. Which yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if it'll be actually enforced, but I can see it. I can, I can see it. I mean, I, I can see Live Nation seeing an opportunity to uh, make some extra dollar there by having a COVID vaccine inspection uh, team that I, I surely can adds, I adds another 10 quid to your ticket price well, i can also see you know the amount of insurance for promoters and stuff is going to go up massively oh yeah yeah liability insurance you know in, in the uk at the moment obviously downloads being cancelled i mean downloads fell just a week before the the date when they could say everything should be okay by then so wow. they've, had they've had to cancel next year and they've got a great lineup of kiss and iron maiden but they shifted, the, they shifted it, right? They, they shifted, shifted the lineup, year, same lineup. They've shifted it again, they've shifted to next year. I mean, I think it's amazing that it sounds like it's 1985 when you go to a gig and it's still Kiss and Iron Maiden, but that's, I, another, that's, another, that's another story, you know, I mean, that's like, where's the, where's the new guys? But, but let's get on to that, let's get on to that. So, Because yeah. like, I've, I've seen these arguments breaking out and you get people that are younger, and I'm saying, this, I'm talking about people that are 25, 30 years old, that are like, when are we going to not have like a, a 1988, you know, lineup? And to me, I'm like, when you get, when you get bands that, when you get bands that are as good as a 1988 headliner. I mean, that's my answer. If there are, there's nothing that's come up to, to take that on or, or nothing that's got to that level that sustained that level of success album <laughs> per album. Well, I'll, I'll or, give you one band. Or, 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 been a, or been an absolute fad. I mean, at one point, let's just say, let's go back to 1999, 2000. Corn were the biggest metal band in the world. Yep. Yep. Within two years. No one cared about Corn. No. They, they still do some great, amazing gigs and get some great slots in their fan bases there. And I, I love Corn. I think they're great. I think, I think what they did was fantastic. All right. They've had hit and miss albums, but as a concept, they've done to move from basically really rootsy seven string stuff to basically making sonic soundscapes with it and right right they're clever but at one point everybody dressed like corn and then biscuit yeah everybody wanted the baggy baggy jeans and the, the, the baggy with the chain basically the chain with, wallets well, and all that well, shit well literally well yeah i still wear a chain works i'm cool but but, but i'm just saying <laughs> to, but but it went from being like people like us that would have the long hair and like the, the black t-shirt and the skinny jeans with the tie tops and we we're into metal. Suddenly, if you're into metal, you have to wear an Adidas tracksuit and have dreadlocks. It was like, it was like chav metal. <laughs> if that means, you know what I mean? I've, I've, I've <laughs> naturally evolved into the tracksuits now. Like I'm at the stage where I'm not even trying to be cool. <laughs> I've just like, I carry a snot rag around with me. I'm wearing Star Wars pajamas because I don't care because I'm in lockdown. <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm at. Well, I'll tell you something. We talked very quickly about Avenged Sevenfold earlier, and like them or not, I think that I think that they're a headline band. I think that they they have a show that could be a headline. They have if headlined. They have headlined um, Friday Night and Download Main Stage twice. I saw it. And you know, I, th I thought all that was missing was. I was there. I uh, saw you. <laughs> so... all, all that was missing was the kind of stage show that Ramstein brings to the table. Like it just, it needed to be 
that grander that grander scale i think of of, of... I, I don't think the location helped on that night because i know you were there you just said i remember now we, we we hung out a bit in the vip bit and stuff like that but what didn't help them was maybe the location and the history that it had because i remember them playing all hail to the king or something the one that sounds like sad but true a lot Oh yeah, and they played it, and the whole crowd sang the lyrics, sang the lyrics back to them. That's right, sang sang the the yeah, yeah. Like, You know, it was yeah. Like... You pick. I mean, the... yeah, the the, the whole uh, Every, everybody, everybody was like, stuff. "Hey!" hey. Like, if, so, if anyone watching this hasn't seen that mashup, there's a great YouTube mashup where they put the two songs over each other. Yeah, and it's the same tuning. It's the same tempo. Same they drum even, sound. Yeah, they <laughs> EQ'd the drums to sound like the Black Album. I think they even used the Black Album snare as well. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. That wouldn't surprise me. But, um, <laughs> I mean, shit. I, I'm surprised they got away with it. But I was there. I was there in the crowd, and they start this like, you know, big, heavy riffs, and it, it literally does sound so much like, instead of going, it's like, and it, it's the same tempo, and the whole crowd are like, "Hey, I'm your life." And it's like, oh, you know. That's one of the better moments of download. I've got to be honest. That was. I was singing was sad, but, I was singing sad, but true. I think you were as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course, man. Yeah. I miss download, mate. I miss it. You know, it's to me, it's always going to be Donington. Yeah. You know, my first ever show was going there in 1990, and I was. 15 years old, and it was quite Aerosmith, boys and choir boys, boys, yeah. Um, unfortunately, I was a huge Poison fan at the time because I didn't really know anything about music. Nothing wrong with that, we'll get on to that in a minute. Because, (laughs) okay, so that was my guilty pleasure. But I remember when, when White Snake came on stage and Actually, it wasn't even Steve Vai. It was Adrian Vandenberg. You haven't said it right. Guitar. On that gig, it wasn't Steve Vai. It was Steve Vai. Vai, 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 Vai. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seven string sorcerer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bought it actually. I went. I went and bought the uh, the the DVD. I think Frontiers re-released the DVD and the um, the footage. And then they did an anniversary thing last year. I don't know if you watched it. There was an anniversary thing with the 30th did, anniversary. Did, uh, slip of the tongue, wasn't it? it was, yeah. it was, and so I watched that one as well. But I remember when they came on stage and uh, he introduced Adrian Vandenberg, who I had no idea who he was, the Flying Dutchman, and everyone booed and he told him to fuck off. Um, and then he played his, it's called like Agento in what, I don't know what he called it, you know. Yeah. But it captivated me. And my dad was at home recording everything on cassettes. It was live on BBC One, right? I, I've got the same recording upstairs that my brother you had. I've got, I've got it sitting up there. BBC actually. One one, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I went back and listened to it and listened to it and listened to it. And that was the time when I was like, I really want to be a lead guitar player. Like I was into Poison and Tiger Tales and Pretty Boy Floyd. And I loved all of that glam stuff. Enough's enough. But that really was when I was like, wow, these these people are fucking serious. Like I thought Talk Dirty to me was going to be a real hard solo to nail. And they're like, they're just doing all this shit. You know, they're, they're Steve Vice slinging the guitar around the neck and, and all this kind of shit. coming down like, from, a, from a, a rope. Right. 
Yeah, Rudy Sarzo's got the bass on top of his head and he's playing. I'm like, who are these people? And that that really, I think, was the beginning of when I thought I've got to step it up. Yeah. You know, so I so, so were, you I already, were you already playing then? I was already playing because I started Cause, cause, at eleven. This, this, this is really quite cool because normally I have to sort of ask a question. Well, I have to enjoy asking the question and where it all started, but this is kind of organically going there. Well, that see, see that that yeah. really is where. I started at 11, because my dad was at, my dad was immediate. My dad played bass in Cliff Richards' band. He played bass for Chuck Berry. He played bass for a bunch of people. He was on top of the pops, like, you know, all the time. He was on this TV show on Channel 4 called Unforgettable. Like, he was a professional musician. He just played wherever the money was, right? Yeah. And so I, just, I grew up with bands being around me and around the house, doing rehearsals in the house and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I just loved it. I don't know what it was about it. I just loved it. And like there was a banged out old acoustic in the, in his study, and I'd sneak in there and I'd just fuck around on the strings. I mean, how would I do it? I didn't know what any of this was. This shit could just like go away. I didn't care. And I'd just be going, let's go. Yeah, I'd just be picking away at the strings. I didn't know what the frets were about. And eventually. He'd obviously heard me doing this and he was like, you're not going to give up on this, are you? So he taught me how to play a couple of things. And, and my initiation into guitar playing was the shadows. It was all Hank Marvin. And because his, his mates were in the shadows bands, <laughs> I, you know, the cable player at Cliff and Griff, who was the bass player, um, I got, I got to go and see the shadows and I went backstage and Hank Marvin showed me how to play a few things uh, and stuff. How cool is that? Center. How cool is that? I got, yeah, now people are just be on that, oh, it's fucking hilarious. But I'm like, no, it was, it was amazing because... No, that's, that's, that's ace. That's brilliant. Yeah. So uh, after that, Hank Marvin's like, you can, what guitar are you playing? I'm like, oh, I've got this really nice black encore. <laughs> you know, and he's like, oh, well, you probably need to, you know, something like this, you know, and obviously shows me his red strap so somewhere between Brighton and home, I'd convinced my dad, got to upgrade. It's not me. Hank's told me. Hank's told and, me. Yeah. And so the next day we're in the guitar shop. Of course, my dad being as cheap as he is, was no way going to spring for a Fender Stratocaster. I don't even know in 1987 how much a Stratocaster would have been. But he points me towards this uh, Marlin Sidewinder, which is a... Oh, I remember those. Yeah. The, the, the Strat lookalikes. Did it, did it have an ultra, ultra, ultra lacquered neck? Like it was covered in Ron Seal? Yeah, yeah. And ultra, <laughs> ultra high action. You know, it was like, yes. it was better suited for being played like as a xylophone than it was yeah. a guitar. Yeah. Good for slide. So, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So this this is funny. I go in there and like, that's like, yeah, he really wants a, you know, a guitar, like something that looks like a red Strat. And the guy goes, well, I hand it like this. Now the night before, Hank Marvin had been saying, now listen, when you do look for a guitar, make sure you look for this and look for that. And uh, my dad, he regaled the tale to me later. He's like, he goes, the way you went in there, you walked in, you grabbed the, the Strat copy off of this guy and you looked at it, he went, well, I was playing with Hank Marvin last night and he said that I need to look down the neck. Oh, you were sure looking, you were looking at how straight the neck was and all that. <laughs> all this stuff. And the guy was like, fucking 
Anchor, what's he talking about? I just thought I was like some little twat. I mean, I was a little twat, but I was telling the fucking truth. wrong what you were saying. <laughs> and that's where it started. I, I played all of that stuff and I played Small Faces, Dire Straits, uh, The Kinks, all of the stuff that I was hearing around the house until I heard uh, the opening notes of Appetite for Destruction coming out of my sister's bedroom and i was just like what the fuck is that what a pivotal album i mean i mean I it mean, changed it changed rock i i believe it changed rock i think it did i mean to me um i'm seven years younger than my brother and and the reason i turned out the way i did with my music tastes and and everything else to do with that that'll start with guitar the lot everything let's be honest if I didn't like guitar, I wouldn't have had the career that I was I had or anything like that. It, it fit. I, right. I'm totally aware of the fact that changed my life completely. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, was the fact that he was seven years older and like he was that she, you know, when I was seven, he was fourteen, and he was getting up to that destruction at 1987, and he was getting these singles and buying these albums and spending his pocket money on on records and tapes. Right. You know, and I, and I absorbed it all. So, yeah. So I was the guy that was in the kid. There's photos of me. I'll fast and it's funny. There's me at seven years old with a, 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 a blue Guns N' Roses t-shirt on. We used to get printed because they didn't make the merch that small. It was only little. And also, where the place that printed them, they, they, they didn't print a black t-shirt that small, so I had to have a blue one. But uh, there's me with, like, more wristbands than I wear now, seven years old, with a Guns N' Roses t-shirt on and stuff, because that was... That with, a, was with a healthy healthy wow. selection of and, blue t-shirts. And, and a nice... And a, and a mullet. And a mullet. Yeah. The, the mullet, mullet. The mullet used to get... The mullet used to get so long before Dad would be like, nah, cut that. You know... Um, you, can't, you can't escape it. If you're growing your hair out from short hair, the yeah. mullet is unfortunately yeah, part at, of the process. But at the, but at the time, it was 1987, so it was it was trying to cut your fringe a little bit and keep the back going, wasn't it? You know, it was, it was yeah, the old it, yeah, it was party time at the back business at the front, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Look, I, I believe they're making a comeback. I've seen a lot of them over here. Um, well, I yeah, live I live yeah. in the south anyway, so but, yeah, I've, 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 we've we've talked about it a few, haven't we? <laughs> there's there's I mean, <laughs> seeing a mullet on on a geezer in a pickup truck. That's daily life for me down here, you know. You got you know. I mean, there's 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 eleven finger beings everywhere around here. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we're only about two hours away from where they shot Deliverance. I didn't know it was shot that close, yeah. But yeah, just pucker up. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, I, up I, I was, I was talking about it to to my fiance Lou. She's like, no, that that looks coming back in now. Mullets will be back in, and I'm thinking, really. Shall I go and cut a fringe? I'll speak to Chris. Is he going to cut a fringe? Because if he ain't, I ain't. <laughs> no round here, mate. Because we're the Not same. Right we've got the same length hair. You know, it's like it's, yeah. it's all the same length. There's no quaffering going on. No, um, man. It, that'd be a super mullet. That'd be yeah. a super mullet. I mean, I think I've fallen out of and gone back into fashion twice since the late 80s. Do you know what I mean? There's been times where... Stay the course. <laughs> It's just stay the course. It always come full circle. It always come round. Now there's been some dark years. There's been some dark years, especially in England, where they don't. They're not really a fan of people with long hair in England. I'll give it that. Sometimes I've been, not, no. I've been called uh, what's the yeti? Uh, random people screaming yeti across the road at me. Um, wanker a lot, you know, just for having long hair. I used to live in yeah. Brighton, and, and there's one street that all the clubs are on down there. 
Yeah, but isn't Bro- Bright- but Brighton's like the the gay. It's the gay capital yeah, yeah. of Europe. It's like there's it's no like, there's no two ways about it. It's like Santa Clara for vampires, isn't it? <laughs> it, it yeah, it is basically. And and what better thing to do than living in Brighton than to join a band called Pride, where the keyboard player who'd named the band didn't even think really about you know. Could there be any ramifications of this? What you mean you know, the, the big the big festival that yeah. the big the big <laughs> festival the LGBT TQ you know sorry I can't it's too it's too so my brain doesn't work as quick as it used to mate that's right. why I'm drinking the Stella cheers by the way no worries so that's a funny part actually because like as I progress through other bands and stuff and we and, and I joined that band Pride. <laughs> the Pride Festival would happen. I'm sure you meant it was about like a Pride Alliance or something, you know. It was, it was just maybe like, hey man, you know, it might be 1999, but like, we're really proud to be musicians that stuck up, you know, with the genre of music. We're proud, we're proud to be like, gay. No, it's like, no, you're obviously a homosexual. <laughs> and in hindsight, what I should have done, <laughs> all of those thousands of CDs that never sold, I should have just taken them down to Stamner Park and sold them on the Pride weekend because no one would, it's not like they would have got out a CD Walkman, had a little listen, be like, oh no, that's not my kind of thing. You know, I could have sold, I could have got rid of all of them. You could have done, yeah. But I didn't, I didn't capitalise on the situation at the time. But um, that was a funny time living in Brighton there, mate, because that was really where guitar playing got like serious for me. Right? You know, I started, I realised that all of that music we listened to from the late 80s died in like, 1993 right i guess it was tail end of 92 into 93 nirvana happens and it kind of all goes to shit um and you're either going to get into heavy music or you're going to get into progressive music yeah you're and right. i and i chose progressive I, I bought the dream theater images and words album and i basically just buried my head in um prog rock and until i went to um Guitar Institute in London. And that that's a game changer right there. You know what I mean? So I, I, I really recommend any guitar player that if they get the chance, if if it's early enough, you know, and they don't have to take a year out break in their work, that go to one of those schools and just like fully immerse yourself. Who who were your the, tutors? Because they had some amazing people that used to write in guitar magazines there, didn't they? They did. My my two main teachers were Dave Kilminster. Oh wow, wow. Uh, he yeah. yeah, he now he now plays in Roger Waters band. He does, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. um and the other one who was maybe the most influence on me at the time was a guy called Sean Baxter. Skunk son. Yes. And he he, yeah. he released at the amazing, time he amazing player and transcriber as well. Yeah, yeah. and he, he'd only just released this album called Jazz Metal, and I mean now nearly every guitar player that I see on YouTube is trying to adopt that fusion sound of jazz, basically Guthrie Govan's sound. Yeah. You know, everyone everyone kind of wants a bit of that, the bit of the odd sounding notes and the the high information stuff and it's not really my jam but i can see why they go there because like after your techniques down they're probably like well what's next what's more difficult than this and you know the, the yeah. obvious choice is to go go deep into the wormhole of music theory which is where all of that shit lies yeah. but sean was a master at 
sweet pick him. And he, he just, just the way he played, Dave was super aggressive. It was old shotgun technique. Um, he had pointy headstocks. He had half pink hair. He wore ripped t-shirts. That was my jam. I'm like, yeah. I, I want to be you. Yeah. Um, and he just won Guitarist of the Year, 1993, yeah. with, with his Sundance track. Guthrie won it the year that I went to Guitar Institute. And that's where his journey started. But Sean Baxter, Dave Kilmer's two of the big ones. Um, uh, Barry Langton was my jazz teacher. He was super cool. Ian, I wish I could remember Ian's second name. He was my blues teacher. Um, but anyway, it was an amazing experience. It was playing eight hours a day and it transformed me from knowing how to play a C chord one place on the guitar to coming out knowing how to play it not only in five bar chord positions but knowing how to play it in three inversions in yeah. each position on the neck that's, knowing all the modes knowing how to read music that's amazing all of and then as it's famously said for most jazz musicians you know they say what do you do learn all the theory forget it and then just play which sounds like bullshit but it's absolutely true because like you I, I have taken a clinical approach to music before, and I think that shows in the song. Um, and then now I just tend to write music where I, I'll try and think of the melodies and then play them. And it, on one of the tracks that I wrote called Once Forgotten, which is called that because I wrote it on the plane. I forgot it. On my laptop, yeah. no guitar. I, I, pe I penciled everything in, in MIDI. Yeah. It's like his eight minute prog rock song. And I'd, I'd had sleeping tablets and drunk red wine. I woke up and just completely forgot that I'd written it and found it a year and a half later. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, wow. But anyway, that is like one of those songs that's got, it's, it's using a lot of melodic minor. It's using a lot of whole tone, a lot of just odd sounding stuff. Not for the sake of it, but just because at the time I was like, that's just... That's that's just how it sounded in my head. Yeah, that's where that's where music theory is handy. Um, but I'm I, one of the best tuition DVDs that I ever bought. VHS was Marty Friedman's Melodic Control. Do you know what's really interesting about you saying that? There's a guy that one of my very closest friends in the world who was my second podcast is named James Boyle. If you look at the if anyone watches this and wants to scroll down, he's on there. And he's actually a martial arts, martial artist um, school owner now. He's got four or five different okay. schools. He runs his own brand of martial arts. He's, okay. He used to be a guitar player and literally he fantastic eight hours a day guy. He's, he's my theory guy, you know. He'll, he'll tell me what I'm playing within a second yeah. of you doing that. Earlier on, he, he messaged me and he's like, who are you interviewing tonight? And I said, Chris Green. And he said, oh, okay. And literally, before I even asked, I just sent him a link. And he messaged me back. I know that wanker. <laughs> no. His message back was, what an amazing player. I'm sensing a lot of Marty Freeman in here. Very awesome. Wow. Has he nailed that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, has, he has because yeah, I mean, I mean, it, 
I, I would like, as guitar players, we all would like to think that there is something about our playing that is slightly different. But as time goes on and, you know, and the Guitar Wizards era grows and becomes now, you know, five decades or whatever, it's hard to really kind of get your own voice. You look really, it's more like, it, it's easier to get a, a, like a tone that is yeah. recognisable than it is to get a because, style that's recognisable. Because that's not, moving on to that, I mean, just saying with what I think, obviously he's not saying like, you like Marty Friedman, he picked up that influence in what you did. Which, right. Which didn't come out until you mentioned that. And I was like, right. and wow, so, wow, and, wow, okay. You know, it's like, and do you know why that is? Do you know, know what it is that Marty does that I found revolutionary is he just said, listen, man, follow the chords. You know, now most of us, we started off with the blues scale, the pentatonic scale, and you rely yeah, on playing that over the chord changes. What, what's the key in the whole song? It's in eight. Okay, I'm going to stick to this box, and I might move it up twelve frets as well. You know, right? Exactly. It's, it's, it, I mean, yeah. it's like yeah. And then the next step is all right. Well, let's learn all five positions of the pentatonic, and then I can I can broaden the horizon of. So you can of, play the of, same the same notes again and again within the, the same the notes again in a different place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. But he he was like, well, no, because if you're playing. E, then play like E major arpeggios. And then if it goes to D, play D major arpeggios and then take it one step further and, you know, play seventh arpeggios. And he was just like, I don't care. It doesn't matter if it's in that key. Play like a seven arpeggio over the E and over the D. It doesn't matter, you know, so long as it's not interfering. And this really is what happens with jazz is if you're not interfering with what's going on with the chords, then play what you want, you know, like the only rules are going to be if you fucking just do something that's really disagreeing with what's going on harmonically around you. Yeah. And I found that so, you know, he does these half bends. Another thing, he goes, you're always a semitone bend away from the right note if you make a mistake. That's great. Advice. Now that's golden advice it's to golden, anyone out yeah. there because most people, when they make a mistake, and, and the other thing is like, if you mess up, don't show it. Like it if again. you're on stage and you mess up, don't pull a face that says I messed up. Like do a semitone bend and own it. Make it sound like you were like, no, nah, no, nah, man, I went for that. You thought it was odd, right? And then I bent it up and it sounded choice. Yeah. So you're right. This, you're this, totally this, right. You're totally you right. Know, and so it was it was revolutionary to me. And I'm like, well, fuck it. You know what? Pentatonics, you're going in the backseat, arpeggios. You're now becoming my life. And that's when all the sweet picking, yeah. you know, like, and you've heard me play, like I do a lot of sweet picking. You're, it's just something. It's, it's not just that with you when you play. What I like about it, it's like, it's got all the, the, the technical shred parts, which I, which almost to a point I don't like listening to by other players. But it's almost like you know exactly when to pull that back to a tasty blues phrase. And that's what I like about your playing. It's like very much like Richie Cotson, like he's playing, or literally he will go for something and go, what? And then I'm back to this, and it's great. Right. You know it's what just I mean? a little taste. Do you get little what I mean? Taste. It's like chuck it in there and pull it I, back. I know. Yeah. Well, yeah. and, that, and that's why I yeah. think this is the this is the point again. Like the great players that we know and listen to, and there are new players that are coming out that are like that. Mm. It's along with all playing, the robots. It's playing to the song, and the emotion of what's going on within the song. 
you know, if it's a ballad, you know, then maybe I won't open with a massive, like, E sweep arpeggio that's going to go from open thick string to 24 on the... This, 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 is, this, is, this is bringing me back to my point about poison and the thing. One is that the great players now, the up-and-coming players, are more in progressive metal in different styles of metal and gent and jump and all, everything. You know, you know what I mean? There's all this and that. Yeah. No one's really writing the songs in that genre for the up-and-coming guitar players to give them the time to express what's the difference between a heavy song, a fast song, a ballad, a slow song. Those bands aren't there anymore. Do you know what I mean? That, that that's why right. we keep harking back to like, well, wasn't it? Wasn't why are the big rock bands still from like the eighties? Because they could all write songs. Yeah. Nowadays, you don't see anyone come out with well. There's some great rock acts, but you don't hear like the guitar players don't almost have time to express themselves with a di- with a di- different type of song within that band anymore, do they? No, you know you're I mean? right. There's a lot of... And, if, and if, what if, I mentioned, the reason why I said mention Poison is I'm going back to Native Tongue. And so when Richie Cotson joined Poison, mm. Poison, completely different sounding band, but that guy could express himself in so many... Whether it was a fast, bluesy, cheesy rock song, he knew what to play. If you make it into a ballad that sounds beautiful that you're singing backing vocals on, he will play the most soulful solo ever. Yeah. And at the end of it, put a very, very quick lick in for like two beats. And then, I know. You know what I mean? Just, it's like, it's I, like... I know. And that's the, that's the beauty of that kind of playing. It's, it's, he's, have you seen his trio band yet? Yeah. I mean, he plays piano as good as he plays guitar. And he sings as good as he plays piano. He sings like an absolute bastard. It's such an amazing trio. Um, but those kind of players where it's like, look, you got to play for the track, like stick a little bit of something in there just to, you know, just to be like, oh, I like that. That's not over the top, but it was needed, you know, for, for that part of it. And I would like to think that that's where I went with my guitar playing when I when I first when we when I first joined Pride, you know, that that was where I was like, okay, it's a really dark song. I need to use like a dark mode. I need to create like a a, a mood. So, you know, if I'm in the saddest of all keys, D minor. <laughs> oh shit, that's C minor because it's dropped. But yeah, it's all and right. if I need it, dark, it's all relative. It's all relative. Then you know, you try and make sad sounds, and if it's major, make it happy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, totally. just just go with what's around you. Totally. Totally. And Mike Friedman, hats off to you, mate. Hats off to you. You really, uh, him. I've got to say hats off to my mate Jim for spotting that influence as well. Oh, you, yeah. Because you, you do hide it really, really well. And he's just gone like, wow. But then again, this guy's like a, let's talk about the same time frame. He His life was guitar, you know. Right. And years later, he's gone, I'm really sensing some Marty Friedman influences. Yeah, it's great that he was able to that. That's a real... Yes. That's a real compliment. That's a real yeah. compliment as well. Like earlier on in your playing, you're like someone would be like, "Oh, you sound like Slash," and you'd be like, "Piss off!" 
you know, and then later on, you're like, oh, thanks a lot. I appreciate See, I get, it. I get that. I was, it, it sounds like any of that. I'm like, fuck off. I just use the same guitars. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk guitars then. So what, what, you know, I know you've got tons and tons of guitars. I mean, that video that you put up with the, I'll play 50 of them. You know, when you've probably got near a hundred, I'm guessing. So that must be it quite is, difficult to do. I think it's a hundred. I haven't counted them. I, it's a hundred and something. Um, my dad was a big guitar collector, and I already had like more guitars than I needed. But when he when he passed, I got left the majority of his collection. My sister got all of the Gretches. And he gave me pretty much everything else. And there was a very large Gibson collection within that. And so oh, wow. that then started this bug of, well, maybe I'll carry on that collection then, you know, and I started buying more bloody guitars, you know, so it got out of control and I had a little bit of a, a, a cleanse a couple of years ago, just to, just to, just so I know that I could get rid of some guitars if I needed to, but it's, I don't think it's dropped below the hundred mark. Wow. I mean, I've got I've, the people I've, I've got, well, I used to have 50, I've got about 46 now. I've not bought any obviously through lockdown right. stuff like that, but um, obviously I worked for a guitar company for a while. So I, you know, yeah. I can get them at a certain price if there's any stock, exactly. stock, stock twos or less than, less than sellable. I'd, I'd get a price on those and buy those and, and also, like, I've, I've collected my own ones that I want to get through the years. It's took absolute years to do. It's not like I suddenly turned around and bought a load of guitars. I've been doing right. this since I was 16, you know what I mean? But but I, I I love it. And it's only come to fruition through many times of people telling me over the last few years, what do you do that many guitars for? But since doing recording songs every week, they all get used. Literally, they have been. Every guitar I've got has been used on at least one part of one song. It's like I right. need a Telecaster for that. There it is. Right, exactly. You know, I, need, I, need, I need a strap. Well, I've got a bunch of straps, but I need a certain strap. You know what I mean? If they all get right. you know, I'm not like uh, that PRS is gorgeous. My my only PRS is a, a SEs, but my two SEs I've got are like the first run of the SEs originally made that were great. I've got a Santana. So good. I mean, there's not a, a lot of difference I've, between them. I've got, those, I've, got, I've, got I've got a Santana and a Tremonti. They're, they're not behind me right now because I'm not using uh, them right now, but yeah. Uh, that the, the Santana I bought in America, I was over in Florida on holiday with the family in 2002. Yeah, 2002. And I was over there and literally I went to a guitar shop and this guitar just spoke to me. I didn't necessarily go there to buy a guitar. I went there to have a great time and, and picked this guitar up and it was like, it just felt right. You know, it was the red, remember the red one with the scratch plate, the first one that came out. I the did, San, yeah, the yeah, yeah. And, the, and the whammy, you know, and I, I bought it. So it was like five hundred and something dollars with the gig bag, and at the time the exchange rate was so good. That was then like, you got to take it back. This is a steal. Yeah, yeah. This is the thing. We've got to take it back. So we go to the airport, and literally I've got this thing in the gig bag. There's lovely padded gig bags that give you this season. And they get there, and I was like, I want to put this on as hand luggage. And the woman behind the counter was like, mm, "You got to go and ask that guy down there. He's like airport security." And I went down there with a friend of the family we got with us at the time, we took with us. And we went down, this big, massive guy's there. I've been told to speak to you about taking this guitar back. And he went, 
can I have a look at it? He made me open the case, right? So I opened the case thinking, this is kosher. He's making sure there's nothing dodgy in the case, blah, 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 blah. So I open it up. Yep, no problem. He goes, can you play the blues? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, show me. So I literally sat there and played some 12 bar blues to this guy. And he went, yeah, he could take it on. <laughs> oh, do you reckon he was just checking if you could actually play the guitar? Maybe, or maybe he thought that the guitar had got some kind of drugs or something in it, and he was making sure that I wasn't taking the piss. <laughs> but or maybe he was just taking the piss out of me. But either way, that guitar, that guitar came back with me, and when I went through Birmingham Airport on the way back, ended the clear. Nope, <laughs> I just walked through with it on my shoulder. Happy days. <laughs> but, that's but, but it's an SE. I mean, that's that I've seen that baby before. That that guitar was the one you played at um, Nam, wasn't it? With me, you took that to. It is. This one is easily one of my favourites. I had I had some money saved up back in like 2005. I think the 20th anniversary, I think that's 2005. Um, and at the time, Simon, our friend, was working at a place called Guitar Amp in uh, Brighton. Gak. And, yeah, Gak. And he said, I've got a mate at PRS. I could introduce you and see if you could get a deal. And I, I played Ibanez all the time up until then. Yeah, because like, you were an Ibanez guy, because even on that video, there's a, was, bun was, a bunch, of, bunch of Ibanez's flown into that. Yeah, I, I love, yeah. loved them. I still love them. I think they're amazing, amazing guitars. And then I went down and I had a look at them. There was about 10 of them down the shop. And I tried this one. And there's something about it, because it has this maple top on it, it's lighter for starters, which makes a, a three-hour gig. Like, when I played with that, Wizards of Winter Band that was like the Trans-Siberian Orchestra style thing. Yeah. A three-hour set with a Les Paul is oh, it, it, a nightmare, especially break, when it's a two-month tour. It will break your shoulder and, yeah. and, and arch your back as well. They're great guitars. But they're, they're, they are very heavy, you know. Yeah, which is why I have to put like three-inch bass straps, three-inch padded bass straps on the guitars to try and distribute the, the weight. Way, yeah. But this one with the maple top, has much more of a bright sound to me anyway. And I just, it, it's, a, it's one of those kind of singy guitars for me. Just, I don't know, this buttery, it's smooth. Yeah. And I've got two of them. I've got this one. And I've got this one. And this next one's actually my favorite, even though it's cheaper. Now, this is only a standard. That's a custom. That's the one out of the video for um, Rubicon Cross, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Because even though it's heavier, because it's solid mahogany, and you can, you might not be able to see, but most of the gold is greening out because of how much sweat it's had on it over the years. But this one's got a darker sound because it has no maple, maple top on it. And so, for me, especially for rhythm stuff... <laughs> I know it's just there's something buttery about the top end as well. Like... Something really whooshy and nice. What what pickups are in that? Is it standard PRS ones or random? Yeah, these two I have not changed a single pickup. So because I think that they made them perfect. Like I don't see any reason in changing them. No, 
that, that, now that, my, my, that's great because like a lot of people will be like, well, I've got to stick a JB in there, or I've got to stick, you know. Okay. Yeah. So listen, the JB. You know what I mean? I, I know exactly what you mean. The JB59 combo, the Seymour Duncan JB59 combo is basically everyone's go-to, like, combo. But to me, they're totally unbalanced pickups. Like, me, too. I, me too. Me too. I, I don't, I I don't, don't like, see... I don't, like together. I don't see... Ibanez are really, really good at... Their stock pickups, I think, personally, are the best stock pickups in any guitar. I agree, because like with me, my Japanese RG has got the V7 and the V8, and to me they're V7, like, V8, yeah, they're exactly. Like, they're, and like the up, they're looking upgraded, slightly hotter path, but they're it's so exactly, balanced. They're exactly so balanced. what it is. And even if you've got V8, V7, and the S1 in the middle, if you've got three pickups, and those, mean? I've actually bought online to put those in other guitars. But yeah, I did end up really liking a certain Dimasio pickup set, which I've put in most of my guitars. So let me just, let me find one that's got that in there. Let me see, what we got here? Uh, yeah, let's try this. God, this is gonna be sacrilege to most people out there. We've got an 87 SG. Oh, nice. This one was owned by the, this one was owned by the guitar player in Bad Company. My dad really? Yeah. So I did something that will horrify, horrify Gibson owners out there. I did away with absolutely everything. You got one volume tone knob. Con um, tone um, controls yeah. and the second volume knob and shifted the um, pickup selector to up here so it was away from what was going on down there and then stuck the Crunch Lab Liquid Fire Damasio's in there. Oh, which wow. Are actually okay. My, okay. Yeah. Which are actually my favorite. Petrucci pickups. Exactly. Yeah. There's just something more screamy about them to me. Like live, do you, do you know, know what I like about them? They're, they're, they're screamy but still defined and still rounded, exactly. So it's not, and, it's, and not like, it's not like a well, I, I don't want to sound like I'm like bitching on the MGs too much because I'm trying not to, but like my Gibson here, it's like I did this years ago because the original pickups were great, but they started to fade to me, they didn't, they didn't have enough top or bottom, and it wasn't right, I was too much used to like with bodies and, and direct mount humbuckers like the Wolfgangs and that you know because they give yeah. I love those pickups so I changed them out for a Zach Wild set and this guitar sounds fantastic it's a 96 studio right it's okay it's aging you see all, all the marks there it's, it's aging yeah yeah it's a, naturally aging so that's the 8185s the active ones you put yeah. in there yeah and this guitar sounds it's only a studio because but but it's it's I love it. There's got fucking lively pickups in it. See, that's yeah. what I, it's it's great. And the neck is perfect. And I, I said in the podcast, I tried ten different Gibsons, didn't care about whether it was a custom, a, you know, a, a, a standard or 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 a you know what this is, a, uh, but a studio. But literally, it, to me, this neck felt the best, and this is the one that played the best. Yeah, and saved me a lot of money but it just felt the best to me. But these pickups, I absolutely love them, but they've only got one thing they do. 
There's they are, and yeah, you can't really turn them down and get clean sounds. You that's the, that's the tough thing. But that's that's why I like these ones. You know, it's it's got all the angriness on the you know the bridge pickup. <laughs> those awesome harmonics yeah and then if you neck pick up it it's still balanced volume wise it's like it's, well, now i can go straight to neoclassical smoothie sound it's all there it's all there yeah so let me we'll talk about guitars in terms of how expensive they are <laughs> and how much money we spend on guitars the guitar that's worth the most that I've got is actually a custom-built guitar that a guy in Switzerland called Winnie, Winnie Custom Guitars, made for me to my spec. Right. Okay. And I had to have this thing insured for five figures, which well, was really? a nightmare trying to get this thing insured. I'm going to show you this thing. You have to give them like all the neck, the neck specs, everything that to you particular what you want. Everything. The wood, the radius, the, the 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 fret wiring, everything is to my spec. Wow. So any person who's into our kind of music knows that a reverse headstock was a must. Now, bear in mind, he hand drew this. What? He hand drew all that. Yeah, you can have a look here at the, at the reverse headstock up here. It's got that's the signature on there. That's insane. And then have a look at the back here. What he did, like the Rubicon cross thing. That's immense. He did it matte finish for me. He didn't want to do that, but look at this neck graining here as well, man. Oh man, what's that type of flame maple on the back stained or the bait, the bait, the baked maple? Yeah, you might bait not be able to see yeah. the, the, the line kind of effect on it. Bait, which is more stable, which is completely more stable. Yeah, yeah, and the the, the hockey stick because I love the Vandenberg guitars. I always wanted the Vandenberg. Man, that, that, that just screams like Vandenberg and George Lynch to me, man. Right, exactly. Right, yeah, all yeah. in one. All of this. Is all made out of titanium. I was going to say, is so, that is that is that Fu Tone or is it himself? Because obviously Fu Tone do the Floyd upgrades and stuff, but that that's all, yeah, that, that's all titanium. Uh, even the lockers, the even lockings the, on the back, even the string lock bolts and the and the everything is everything. Yeah, so it can't it can't rust. No. Like, I can't I can't mess it up the way I mess up other guitars. The trim system. It's also super, super cool on it. It's the most reliable trend system. I've got to be honest, there's only one thing that I did wrong when I helped him design this. I said I want just the volume control yeah. and, and the pickup selector. But yeah. I, completely, I completely forgot. Old school. <laughs> right. I completely forgot that when the trend was in, it's going to get in the way of where my pickup selector is. Oh, it was like a design for epic proportions on my <laughs> on my part, but again, it's got those um, those same the Crunch Lab liquid fire combo. <laughs> it's still in tune. And you got I it floating. You, you, you got it floating as well. I've got it float, so you can go. 
you know, all your trend buzzes and all that kind of stuff on the go. Yeah. It's a really thin radius. I can't even explain to you really. It'd be like a early 70s SG or something like that. Well, like so you're like, you're, like, you're like a curve, not flat, basically. Yes. Curved okay. and small. It's a very, very lovely singing guitar. All of this stuff is luminous. So he gave me like a UV light pen that I'd charge him up before I go on stage. Oh, wow. There's, there's numbers on the bottom of the uh, volume. So when I charge them up as well, so when it's completely bloody dark and I can't see anything, I can see exactly where I'm, because I'm one of them people, I don't have a clean channel. I'm, no, I'm, I'm the same. I'm, I'm the same. I'm, I dial it down, you know. That's how I'd rather have my clean done. Do you know what I mean? I'm exactly the same. Anyway, this is the most self-indulgent guitar that I own, and God bless him. He made this for me for absolutely zero dollars and zero cents. Really? Yeah. And I, I fly the flag for him as often as I can. It's a beautiful, beautiful, a has beautiful got, thing. Has he, got, has, he got, has he got a website? Yes, he does. Well, we'll make if sure get, we put the links in the description of this video. So absolutely, yeah. I mean, his, his, his Facebook page, Winnie, W-I-N-I, Winnie Custom Guitars. And he made uh, Joel Hoekstra's 13 guitar as well. Oh, wow, okay. Um... So and lovely guy, lovely, lovely guy. So what are you what are you playing through tonight to get the get the get the tones? I am playing through my Kemper. I was gonna guess it was a Kemper. Just because it it's a um it's my own profile of my Black Star amp. Oh what series one or something? It is actually the stage one hundred. It's, oh, okay. it's when they basically went back to a Marshall sounding amp. Yeah. And uh, actually they have a, they built me a custom guitar for free too, because they have a company called Gordon Smith. They do, yeah, they do. And they built me a guitar as well. The only thing about those guitars, they insist every guitar has a brass nut on them. And not I'm not a huge fan of the brass nut sound. What, too toppy? Little too toppy for me, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that Stage 100, I profiled it. And I was like, I've actually done a really good job. I got uh, Rick Beato's engineer, Ken Lanyon, over to my place. To mic the cab and everything. To, to mic the it. cab, get all the micing stuff done, making sure I wasn't phasing or anything. Just used like a, um, a 57 and uh, E... What is that one? What is that? I forget what that is now. I forget what that, that, that mic was. Um, just two mics into my you know focus right and he got this great sound and i took that sound and i went to michael wagner i don't know if you know michael wagner is he's yeah, a producer like, yeah I and he did everyone from you know extreme you know yeah skid row metallica you know all of those bands and i, I met him uh, through some mutual friends and i've become quite good friends with mike so when i was up in nashville he only uses Kemper now. Like he has like oh, three really? or four, the, the, the three or four Kempers. Don't even write my, my camps anymore in his studio. He, he profiled. Kemper. He profiled every amp and cab that he has in his studio, and I think he sold on a bunch of like his stuff. And now he's just like, 
that's all I do. Everything comes through. It's huge speakers in a studio. It's an amazing, amazing studio. Um, the new Skid Row album, I think they just did all of their stuff through campers in there. And I took, me, man. It doesn't surprise I, me. I went, I went over and I said, hey, is there any chance I could bring in this profile I've just done? I'd like you to hear it. So I go into his studio. It was when Summer Nam was on in, in Nashville. Yeah. And I go in there and he, he plugs it in. He loads it into his camper. Brings it through his big speakers. And you know what I'm talking about? When you go into a recording studio, they have speakers that look like there's five cones in like one you know, it's the yeah. real deal. You're getting every yeah. frequency possible through them. Yeah. And he plugs it in there and he's like, he's like, chunk, chunk, chunk. Oh, yeah. Just play a little bit. And he plays and he messes around with the sounds and plays around a little, tweaks it. And all of a sudden just dials in this really lovely, warm, yet crisp sound. I'm like, what did you do? And he's like, well, you probably did that on some home speakers, right? You know, just like a, this and a tweeter and i'm like he goes you have to you have to be able to hear the, it starts going into the technical you know jargon about <laughs> frequencies and i'm like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i know what you mean yeah yeah like, yeah why, why didn't i think of that yeah anyway yeah. I, I just said look is there any way i could keep that sound that you just <laughs> that you just made and he's like yeah hit save put it back on the jump drive and i ab'd them and i have to say it's what went from what I thought was a good sound to a great sound. And I use that now on all of my recordings here in the studio. Well, the thing is, you, you've got to think with these kind of things. It's like, it's like, well, handy enough, it's, it's, it's there because I've been recording. But I do all the songs through that. And I've got... What is that? It's a Helix... Can you see it? It's a Line 6 Helix Stomp. I got you. I know exactly, I know exactly what you're talking about there, yep. Yeah, so I've got I've got the full helix, which is under my feet at the moment. Yeah, um, which I that's my gigging rig for the last three years. Um, I've got all the real amps, which I've collected through my time. But if I'm just recording and getting ideas down and throwing a song out a week out, this thing is it, it, it's just what we say the Kemper wise. It, it's so authentic to an after. I can dial the sound in quickly with it. I can tweak it inf infinitely, and for recording this laptop, which I'm talking to you right now through, I don't think I can beat it. It's fantastic, and when I play live, it literally will integrate with everything I'm doing live too. It's like I know you see so many people playing with Kempers now. You know, it's like they, they you know turn up to a venue, PA please. Done. Well, especially if you especially if you fly, like I I do a lot of fly days. It, it makes perfect sense. It makes, it makes perfect, perfect sense. sense. I, I think in the end, where we're where we're probably going with this is that venues or or backline companies are going to be able to provide these. Where all you really need to do is bring this with you on tour. Yeah, and, drop and basically, into, yeah, all of your rigs are in there. You load it into the camper, and it's basically the same as having your home sound you just rent the unit and the foot controller i or, think you're right yeah or like i do i you know you can just take them on the plane if you have the right carrying cases and stuff yeah and, and yes do i like playing through stacks i love playing through stacks because there's probably just some just snobby part of me that just thinks that even though i use this technology now 
maybe there's something better about that four by 12. I don't know what it is, but it's kind of like invasion of the body snatchers where it's like, yeah. you know, it's like, hang on. You, you look like, you look like my wife. You sound like my wife, but something's slightly off. <laughs> you know, that's like, that's how I am with like campers and stuff. Now it, it's a new world. It's a new world of sound. And I know a lot of audio it's, files out there will basically be like, no, 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 it's not the same. But you know what, man? When when I can carry my sound with me to any venue across the world, I would rather have that than turn up like I did to M uh, to the Monsters of Rock pre-party, where all I've got is a is a is an e, um, a fifty-one fifty with a with a broken tube in it. And that's that's yeah. all I've got. Yeah, you're not. You're right. You're totally right. It's like I can. Well, me, I can carry this in my gig bag with my stuff, and if all else fails, my sounds are set on here. I can have clean rhythm lead into any power ramp or any PA and be like, yeah. I can get through it. I can do the whole I gig. Gotcha. I can do the whole gig. You know, I can do it. You know, it's 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 mental. And, you know, and I, I bought I bought the powered version as well, just so I could literally dump it on top of a four by twelve cab. And what's beautiful about them? What's beautiful about these units now is that if you've got a powered version of these these profiling heads, you dump it on top of the four by twelve. You get your stage sound through the four by twelve. You send the rest of your sound out to the front of house with two XLRs, so you can get stereo sound with your effects at least, and you can change the volume on your unit but it's not changing anything out front which is amazing because yeah. it's amazing for sound engineers because yeah. they don't have to worry about that shit no, they've got their stuff dialed in they've got there. their stuff dialed in on, sound, on stage sound up till you feel it a bit more and yeah exactly and i'm still like that i'm still like i don't like in ears I don't i've done it. a couple of tours of in ears and i just can't it's the bottom end i can't there's something about feeling the, the, the bass sound as I call it, it it's trouser flappage trouser flapping that's exactly what it is <laughs> yeah. I like that that explains it perfectly so after this eventful uh, year we got some good stuff coming up then what's coming out next for you when you're all open and just to finish off well uh, you know what what's next from Mr Green oh do you, do you know what it's it's, it's odd because I've, I've kind of taken a little bit of a back seat with the guitar playing and just trying to I don't know, get back into some family life. You know, my son's eight years old now, so I've been just doing a lot more hanging and trying to get a little perspective about what do I do when this is all over? You know, how do I integrate myself back into society again? I've got a tour planned for next year with Taiketo in England in, in, in March. Um, I'm, and, you know, I'm I'm working on some stuff here in the background. Some instrumental stuff, maybe. I I also did a band back in Chicago called Space Wolf, which was a band that I actually sang in. And the only reason I sang in it is because we couldn't find a bloody singer. So I I did a demo example, and I said, look, yeah, just if you can find someone that can sing better than me, then just get them. It doesn't matter. Just get someone that will sing. And we never did. And the band said that what I did was good enough. So we released a single. And it's out there on iTunes. The band's called Space Wolf. The song's called Valhalla. And it's basically like stoner rock, like Red Fang, that kind of stuff. And, it, and all we did was just sing about space and just just dumb shit. It wasn't like we weren't talking about love or political matters. We're like, let's just make shit up. Let's, let's, let's write about space or like, you know, we've got a song that was just about 
you know, some demented fisherman, <laughs> you know, like the, just odd songs. Like old, but it was really like good old, fun. Old Greg from the Almighty Boosh. <laughs> right, right. So you can have a look at that. I mean, but, you know, if anyone's listening, if they want to in, have a listen to that instrumental EP, the Unveil EP, the Space Wolf singles out there. Um, me and CJ from Rubicon Cross, we've been talking about maybe writing some material again. Amazing. So until, until we get to the point where I'm a very much, I like being with someone when I'm writing music. Yeah. So it's all yeah. very well to get some riffs together, which is kind of what I'm doing now. Just, you know, I have, I have a folder on my MacBook that's just like a plethora of, of little videos of riffs. And when writing time comes closer, I'll go in there and maybe fit four or five together and think, all right, that could be the starting of a song. Let's, let's do something there. But, Right now, just weathering the storm, my man. I think that's that's the way forward, my man. Really do. You know, well, I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you having me, man. I'm about to hey, go. Hey, I'm about hey. to go and enjoy being out in a restaurant, which I know yeah, you well, can't do. I'll, I'll tell you about that in a few months. But man, it's been amazing catching up with you. I mean, yeah, I could talk. Too, I could talk with you all night, but we'll catch I you up off too. camera for a bit soon because just talking yeah. about random guitars and stuff, but. Thank you so much for coming on. And I've got to say to everyone that's following the channel, just please give a subscribe, a like and a share because I appreciate all of it and it helps me out loads. Thanks to Chris. Thank you so much for coming on, man. It's my pleasure, mate. It was really good and catching up with you. And I've loved staying up and having a beer with you as well. Oh, yeah, I do appreciate you staying up. I forget it's probably gone midnight over there right now. Isn't yeah, it? Man, that's all right. We're, we're all night owls now. Nothing means anything more time-wise to us if we're in lockdown. But... Thank you so much, and I will catch you all soon. See you, Chris. Take it easy, my friend. Thanks, mate. Take care. Say that. You've been listening to the Beer and Gear podcast with Chris Taylor.